The spike in after-school shootings in Chicago. Shootings right after classes let out is rare, but last year, nine children under 17 were killed during the hours students are typically gathering up their books and, and heading home. One of those kids was Michael Brown, a 15-year-old student at the Chicago Military Academy in Bronzeville. Here's his friend A.J. Davis, who was with Brown just before the shooting last February. So basically, we all went separate ways to go home. My friend, J-Rock, he texted the group. He was like, y'all got to check on Lil Mike. He's not texting nobody because that's what we call him, Lil Mike. And then I got home, and then my friend had called me. He crying, he crying, he crying. I'm like, what happened, what happened? He, yeah, they said that it was Lil Mike that got shot. I don't know. It almost felt like it was, like, out of color. Like, it was drained. Like, the, the two months after that, it was, like, just stuck on sadness. You know, we can't be kids no more. Now the heat's turning up on CPS and city officials to take action. We're joined now by education reporters Sarah Karp with WBEZ and Nader Issa with the Chicago Sun-Times. Thank you both for joining. Thank you for having us. I'll start with you, Sarah, and we'll start with what we just heard from A.J. Davis, who is uh, 16 years old. You you hear that anguish, you hear that uncertainty uh, in his voice. He says, we can't be kids no more at the end, which, I mean, is gutting me as, as a parent. How common is it for students to be shot on their way home from school. I can't believe I'm even asking you that question. Yeah, and it's it's really not that common. I mean, that, that's one of the things I really wanted to make sure that people understood, and that's that, you know, there are these instances. Last year, you know, we documented like nine times that a, a, a child 17 or younger was shot like in those afternoon hours on a weekday during the school year. However, you know, when, when you look at it, and, and of course, any child, being killed, I mean, is one one too many, you know. Mm-hmm. So the, I, you know, there's no matter what, it's it's a terrible thing. But, um, you know, the fact that it is rare when I when we started like seeing these instances come up, that's why it made us sort of like stop and say like, what is going on here? Mm-hmm. Nader, WBEZ and the Sun Times did an analysis of shooting records and and media reporters uh, over the last decade. What did you find? So last year, um, there were, among kids who were 17 or younger, um, nine kids were killed on a weekday. We looked at the hours between 2 and 5 p.m. Mm-hmm. That's usually when kids are getting out. There's different dismissal times, but those are the, the general after-school hours. That's the highest it's been uh, in, in a, a long while, in a, a few years, the past decade. And so there was an uptick. Um, Do we know what's behind that spike? So that's what we talked to uh, Jadine Chow. She's the the uh, safety and security officer at Chicago Public Schools. She sort of attributed it to the wider gun violence in Chicago, the wider gun violence in the country. If there are shootings elsewhere, it's going to happen near a school. Mm -hmm. Um, But obviously we know, too. I mean, we heard this from another person we interviewed, Charles Anderson. He's the principal at Michelle Clark High School on the west side. He said it's disappointing because schools have always been the sort of sanctuary. You you know, no shootings near schools, churches too. He mentioned churches. Mm-hmm. And now it's sort of creeping closer and closer to the school buildings. So that's that's uh, that's the thought. And we'll hear more from Charles and from Jadine a, a little bit later when we, we talk solutions, Nader. But let's go back to that story that we were just, uh, that we opened with, right? The story of Michael Brown, who's the 15-year-old who was killed after school in Bronzeville. His friends like A.J. Davis, who we heard, they called him Lil Mike. Tell us about Michael. Well, you, you know, it's interesting because um, we, we did this 
um, the Sun Times actually did a whole story when this was uh, when he was killed last last year, and you know it turned out that that the the person who was charged in his murder was a, a young man too, who was you know actually grew up with him um, in in a local um, housing development, and you know I guess they had sort of um, became quote unquote apps, you know, like that they they and from like different gangs and and so they had some some beef with each other and and he got you know he got shot right in, you know a few blocks from the school you yeah. know right after he left his buddies and you know from what from what AJ said you know he was he he was just a kid that was just trying to grow up in the city and you know he was cool dude <laughs> you know it's like you well, know let's hear from AJ again he was still a kid you know what I'm saying he was still a kid he still had life he still had talents he still had dreams and people just try to ignore that when they see a black kid in Chicago get killed because it's just normal. You know, it's normalized. But then again, they not a black kid living in Chicago. You feel me? It's normalized, but it shouldn't. Like, it shouldn't be no reason. I got to constantly watch my back. Even even if I'm taking the garbage that I watch my back, I'm watching my surroundings. He said, I ain't did nothing to hurt nobody. But then again, it's a bunch of kids that done lost their life that ain't did nothing to hurt nobody. Man, it's so hard to hear this kid talk about it being normalized the normalization of of black children being killed in Chicago and and constantly watching his back. I mean, it's like they've lost their innocence. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, literally, as I was as I was listening to him talk, I'm like, like you're gonna make me cry, dude. <laughs> you know, like I'm sitting here, but I mean, it's it's just it just makes you think, you know, that how how can we be here? You know, how can how can we be here and you know, that that we need to be reminded that the kids are really feeling this, you know, they're really feeling this and that, you know, I know that it seems like there's no solution sometimes, but we can't just stop and be like, okay, there's no solution. Well, uh, you know, generally students, parents, and the community trust schools to be a safe space, right? And, and that's something that AJ seemed to be struggling with. Let's hear one more time what he had to say on that. Like, still to this day, it's shaking me like, man, like, are you, are you serious? Like, he can't come home from school? He couldn't get home, like, from school? And this is supposed to be a safe place for us. This is supposed to be a safe haven where we come to school, we see our friends, you know what I'm saying? We see the staff that we like, you know, we kick it with them. But you telling me we can't even do that in peace? Nader, are other students or teachers, are they sharing his concerns that schools, they, they just aren't a safe space anymore? Yeah, I, th- I think, I mean, that's a tough that's a tough question because schools are, for a lot of kids, the one place they go to see friends, they see trusted adults, they learn, have all these activities. And I think that's why it's so shocking and, and what Sarah mentioned, why it sort of piqued our interest to look into this, because it has been so rare and this is a safe haven for a lot of people. And yeah, I mean, anytime, anytime you have a classmate who's killed, a friend who's killed, it affects teachers and staff too. You have a student who's killed. Mm-hmm. It's it's a tough situation, and I think that's because schools are supposed to be that safe haven. I think that's why, other than uh, the obvious of of a child being uh, being killed, that's why this is so yeah. tough on people. And it's a it's a tough situation, Nader, and it's one that doesn't just end with the incident, right? The shooting doesn't happen, and then. We carry on. And that's what you've heard from a lot of students, a lot of parents, community members, is it's not just about helping kids and families the day of or the day after or the week after. Some of this stuff lingers for months and years, and 
how do you ever get over a, a child being killed, right? And, and you need constant support. You need constant help. People grow up, they're adults, and they're still thinking about their friend who was killed. You know, um, when Kim Fox, the state's attorney, talked about um, the charge against the, the young man that was charged on Friday um, for the the killing at Juarez, if you guys will remember, um, on December 16th, yes. there was a shooting at Juarez where two kids were killed. And she um, and there was a young man who is 16 years old who was charged this week, um, this weekend in, in that in that killing. And um, she Kim Fox was saying, you know, I remember when I was a teen when she was a teenager, a young man that was killed in her school and. Um, how painful that was and, and how that and she was saying how that lingers. And um, Kim Fox and I actually went to the same school at the, about the same time. Okay. And I know exactly who she was talking about. And I know exactly, you know, it's like I think yeah, about I mean, you never forget. Those. You never forget. It. I mean, you never forget just like the last time you saw the kid and the young man. I mean, his name was Marlon, like in the hallway. And then, you know, then you do, his, his, his locker, his, you know, everything is just it's like changed. And um so I, I think that that's that's real, you know. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm glad you you brought up the um, Benito Juarez shooting that happened back in December because um, this story of Michael it's reminding me of this one. Uh, and in that shooting, we saw four students shot, two of them killed. This was also at afternoon dismissal. Any other parallels that you notice between those incidents? Um, well, it sounds like. You know, obviously the details of everything has to come out, but it, at least from what's come out so far, it sounds like there was some, um, you know, gangs were sort of inv- somehow involved in, in in these shootings. You know, like with the Michael Brown shooting, it was like they were they were in different fractions of gangs, factions of gangs, and then um, also there was you know something going on. I you know from the description of what happened at Juarez, so. Um, you know, and I also just think, like, in general, how how are these young guys getting these guns? Like, what is going on here that, that it's so easy for them to get? And then, you know, the types of guns that they're getting, I mean, I'm no gun expert, but from what I hear, you know, th- these are, you know, pretty powerful guns. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, at the war shooting, you know, I mean, listen, a gun is a gun, but, <laughs> but you know, I— I think there's some questions there, like what is going on here? How are these so accessible to young people? This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we're talking about a spike in after-school shootings in Chicago. A WBEZ in Chicago Sun-Times analysis found that in the last decade, an average of three kids that were 17 and younger were murdered each year during after-school hours. We're talking right now with WBEZ education reporter Sarah Karp and Chicago Sun-Times reporter Nader Issa. So, Nader, what has the Chicago Teachers Union had to say? Stacey Davis-Gates, uh, we all know her. She's the president of the CTU. She was at last month's Board of Education meeting, and she had a sort of laundry list of issues to address, and this was one of them. It's top of mind for a lot of educators. I mentioned teachers, support staff. They all feel this, too, not just the kids. Mm-hmm. And the CTU wants to negotiate over the next steps. After something like this happens, what are the protocols in place? What are the steps in place to address the aftermath, the trauma? And also, how do you prevent it? And I think that's um, that's something that we've heard from students and families, too, we touched on earlier, is yeah. they want that longer-term support, not just you're here for a week, we have extra social workers for a week, and then you're gone. So how how is CPS responding to this spike in after-school shootings? And, and what possible solutions 
are they talking about, you know, between CPS and, and city officials? So that's where I mentioned Jadine Chow. She's the head of safety and security for CPS. And they've certainly noticed, of course, that there's been a spike. I mean, every, anytime a kid is killed, anytime a kid is killed right outside of a school, there's um, there's a lot of attention on it because it, it shouldn't be happening. And one of the things they've talked about, it, it might be controversial, is these roving police units outside of schools. Um, we, we know the past few years there's been a lot of protests about school resource officers, those uniformed Chicago police officers who are inside of school buildings. Yeah. This would be a little bit different. It's outside in the neighborhoods, um, on the streets mm. to, to sort of watch over anything happening. It's going to be controversial. Jadine Child mentioned that there would need to be training. and um, and Well, let's hear from Jadine yeah. on this. I think we have a clip. They see the police presence outside in a different way from police like in the school eight hours a day, five days a week. But if it's out on the street, they understand that there might be safety risks outside. And so it doesn't feel as imposing. What do you make of these sentiments, Sarah? Like, would this police presence truly be perceived differently? You know, I kind of think so. Um, I, You know, I actually talked to AJ and a couple other students at, at um, Chicago Military Academy. I, I asked them, what, what would they think about that? And they said, yes, they would like to see more police officers, like, circling the school. But one of the things that they said is, like, hey, they should get out of their cars, too, and look around and not just be, like, if they're just in their cars mm. and they don't. And, and also, like, we want them to sort of engage with us so that we kind of know who they are and they know who we are and they're not looking at us like we're no good. They're just sort of, you know, making sure that the environment is staying safe. You yeah. know, um, AJ says something about like, well, if he's if the police officer's in his car, then he's safe. But if I'm out here, I might not be so safe. So, you know, let's let's um so I think that's that a if, good point. If the relationship was right, I think they, they would be good. And Nader, earlier you, you mentioned this uh, beyond police as a possible solution, you covered the idea of, of building relationships, right, within schools and the community. And you talked with Charles Anderson as you talked about the principal of uh, Michelle Clark Magnet High School over in Austin. Tell us more about what he had to say about what he thought a possible solution could look like. He thinks that building relationships between educators, between the adults in the building and the kids is one way to both prevent it and respond to these situations. Because if kids have at least one trusted adult in the building, if something's going on, if they're concerned about something, they have a safety fear, anything that they want to talk about, they can go to that adult and talk to them. Um, And then afterwards, just obviously needing support, needing trauma help, needing a social worker being able to connect them with those resources, those relationships are what gets us there. Interesting and frightening reporting, folks. Chicago Sun-Times reporter Nader Issa and WBEZ education reporter Sarah Karp. You can read their latest story at WBEZ.org or on suntimes.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.